This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 19th, 2024. I'm Caleb Brown. The feds put a man on the no-fly list without any due process, and he remained on that list for years. Now that the FBI is being challenged, the agency would like the case to be rendered moot. Whether that mootness ought to prevail is now before the Supreme Court. Cato's Tommy Berry evaluates the case following the oral argument. There is a common facet of certain lawsuits that I've noticed and lawyers who do public policy work, public interest policy-driven work. I think my friend Dan Albin at the Institute for Justice has, has said this is pretty normal for him. It's somebody has money unconscionably taken from them for no good reason by the government under the guise of, of civil forfeiture. And the moment that that person retains a public interest litigator, such as Dan at the Institute for Justice or, or some other organization, the government says, very sorry, entirely our fault. We obviously made an error. Your money, sir. And hand it back. And this is, I think, well understood to clearly be a case where the government would, would prefer to avoid having a court make a determination on a policy that the government has that the government would like to keep. And if, if a court rules on it, then that's something other courts may refer to in the future, and uh, that might screw up the government's plans because they got a good thing going. So, <laughs> not to taint the audience's impression of this issue here, but uh, that's my general impression. Uh, I can't agree with you more, especially from my own experience uh, working at Pacific Legal Foundation. We, we would see this often as well, where as soon as you bring a challenge to a law, conveniently the government starts to second guess the wisdom of that law, often just as it applies to the particular plaintiff that we happen to be suing with. I, I sometimes call it strategic whack-a-mole, where they, they try to make a case moot or argue that a case is moot in one particular instance. But then 99 others who don't have a lawyer keep having the same loss of freedom. So tell me about this case that is moving forward right now. Uh, this case is called FICRE versus FBI. It was just argued at the Supreme Court earlier this week. And essentially the facts, the alleged facts, are Jonas FICRE is an American citizen who was put on the no-fly list. This is a list compiled by the FBI. The procedures of it are very shadowy. There's no real due process. There's no real public explanation for why people are put on or taken off the list. Uh, often people aren't even told that they're on the list until they show up at the airport and they're not allowed to board a flight. So he was put on the list while traveling for business in Sudan. And as a result, he was not able to return to the U.S. where he is a citizen for over four years. Um, he alleges that this led to the end of his marriage, that this led to financial ruin. Um, he alleges that he was even put in prison for a while and tortured during his, his travels overseas. And he alleges that the government essentially tried to extort him and make him become an informant and offered to take him off the list. These are all allegations at this point. We haven't yet reached the merits. But after he sued, he finally got back to the U.S., sued, and soon thereafter was told that he had been taken off the list. And now the government is arguing the case should not reach the merits because it is moot. So to the extent that the feds would like to continue putting people on a no-fly list 
without any substantial due process, without any second guessing by anyone and maintain this sort of shadowy process, this seems like a good move for them. Exactly. It would allow them to essentially end the case without any on-the-record court decision at any level, Court of Appeals or Supreme Court, um, saying what the standards have to be to be put on the no-fly list. And that's, that's what Fikre wants to reach. He wants to get an actual explanation for why he was put on and get some guarantees or safeguards put in place in the future. So if I were Mr. Fikre and I lost at the Supreme Court, certainly he would have avenues to sue the government over what he suffered, you know, the, what were the, the fallout effects from this decision that the government made. Presumably, but the government is arguing that essentially the case is, is entirely moot and needs to be tossed out entirely on the theory that it is un, extremely unlikely that he's going to be put back on the list and that essentially there's no current harm based on it. I believe he's not asking for monetary damages. He's essentially asking for procedures to put in, be put in place going forward. And so that it really presents the question of how likely is he to be put back on the list? And that's where the government and FICRE really dispute. So the, the question before the court is whether or not the case is moot or whether or not it is, it is important that the government actually took him off the list. It's a little of both. The core question is, is the case moot? But to answer that question, the court has to dive into this doctrine called the voluntary cessation doctrine. And this is essentially developed to try to stop this type of gamesmanship. It says you can sue, and if the defendant conveniently ceases what you were suing about, you can continue your case unless the defendant proves it's extremely unlikely that they're going to resume the challenged conduct. So really, the crux of the dispute is how likely is it that they're going to resume it? The government says, trust us. Fikre says, maybe we shouldn't trust them. So challenged conduct against Mr. Fikre himself or the broad policy of putting people with no process, due process, no judicial process, certainly on a no-fly list, preventing Americans from engaging in convenient travel. The government says it should be looking only at Fikre himself, and that's what makes it a trickier case. Um, unfortunately, it's hard to challenge procedures in the abstract. You usually need an, a, one specific plaintiff and one specific set of facts. What makes all of these cases so difficult is that we're entirely in the dark about what were the original reasons for putting him on the list and what were the alleged reasons for taking him off. So, Will, you would think that that reasoning would be front and center in a Supreme Court case about this decision. Yes. And, and uh, at oral argument, it seemed clear that the justices were frustrated at the lack of information, that even they have not been told by the government in some sort of secret hearing, what were the original reasons for putting him on? What were the reasons for taking him off? And Justice Kagan essentially asked that and really changed the tenor of the whole argument. She said, well, why don't we just go into you know, a secure room, a secure place, courts have procedures for this, tell us in private or tell the lower courts in private why you put him on, why you put him off, and let the court judge how likely it is that he might be put back on. Let them judge, was this pretextual or was there actually something in good faith that changed that led you to take him off? So courts tend to defer to the government on matters of national security. And I think that I think that's unfortunate in many cases, but is, could this be one of those cases? 
It could be. The government is certainly arguing for that. They're arguing for what they call a presumption of regularity. And uh, Cato filed an amicus brief, and also our scholar Patrick Eddington, a scholar of surveillance issues and defense issues, filed a brief in his personal capacity. And both briefs touch on this so-called presumption of regularity and basically say, historically, it was very narrow. It was a presumption that forms were filled out correctly and things like that. It should not extend to an all-encompassing presumption that the government is operating in good faith. So in, in some sense, we have the government here retreating to process. Mm-hmm. That is, we might, whether or not we have a good reason, we have a clear process for going through this and we adhere to that process. Right. They put out the boilerplate standards. They have you know, a few sentences that people are put on the list if they're seen as a likely threat. They're taken off the list if they're no longer seen as a threat. And they won't give any information specifically about FICRE. They just say, trust us, the process was followed. And they give the court a letter from an FBI special agent basically saying, on current information, we won't put him back on the list. And they say, basically, they're asking the court to trust they're telling the truth. If the court goes against Mr. Fikre here, I would guess that is there an opportunity then for a wider variety of people to perhaps be on one case? Mm-hmm. to challenge the, the, this federal policy of seemingly random people being placed on a no-fly list? Absolutely. The government can be very good at playing whack-a-mole, but they can't win forever. And the more plaintiffs you have, uh, the more likely it is that one will stay on the list. You know, If you keep bringing these suits and they keep conveniently being taken off the list, it just becomes more and more implausible that the government is operating in good faith. So what do you expect? Based on, based on the oral argument, you, you, it seems like there's a healthy degree of skepticism uh, against what the government is saying. There was. There was skepticism at essentially this attitude of just trust us, we don't need to give you any more information. I think the most likely result is that they're going to send it back down to the Court of Appeals and say, have a private, lawyers call it in-camera, meaning private meeting with the government and the judge, present the actual reasons, not boilerplate, but the actual classified reasons why you put them on the list and then take them off. And then let the judge apply the normal mootness standards to that, actually having the facts. The government argues that even revealing these facts to a judge in private inflicts an injury on the government. But I didn't see the justices buying that. You know, when you have to weigh the cost of keeping judges in the dark on the one hand, that's more of a harm than the alleged costs of forcing the government to reveal it even to a neutral arbiter. And it's the court's job here to protect the liberties of Americans. And that's hard to do when the government won't tell you why they're doing what they're doing and have clearly violated with unclear reasons an American's liberty. Exactly. Couldn't put it better myself. Tommy Berry is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.